Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day that we can come and hear your word, that we can come and hear your word preach. Soften our hearts to your word. Help us to be able to listen to that seed that's being scattered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tom's now going to bring us the Bible reading. The Parable of the Sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. 
The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Oh God, in ourselves, our hearts are hard. And without the renewing work of your spirit, the seed of your word would just fall away from us. So, Father, we pray, please, for each of us gathered here today and everyone watching online too, please soften our hearts. Please make us good soil so that the seed of your word would take root and it would grow in rows and rows and rows and bear a great crop for your glory. I thank you for the precious gift of your word and we pray that you might help each of us now as we concentrate for a short time on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, uh, the, expe- the expectations you have for something matter for how you experience it, right? The expectations you have going into something matter for how you experience it. Um, so uh, your experience of a whole lot of things will be shaped by your expectations of them. Your experience of yesterday's election will be largely shaped by your, ex- your expectations going into it, what you expected. Um, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, today's question, though, is what are your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of Jesus and his kingdom? Your answer to that question is massively important. It's so important. It'll shape, it'll shape how you experience Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, we've been seeing through Matthew's Gospel this stunning portrait of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us, come to reign over his eternal kingdom. Uh, and, and what's more, this is the king who invites everyone to come and put on his yoke and experience his rest. Um, but, but if you do that, if you come to him, what can you experience? What can you expect from that? What can you expect? What will his rest look like? Does yoking yourself to Jesus mean... Uh, to Jesus and his kingdom mean kind of endless victory after victory. That's what a kingdom's about, right? Victories. Is that what yoking yourself to Jesus means? Uh, Surely if he is true, then his kingdom would take over the world and everyone would see it and everyone would come to him. Is that what you can expect coming to Jesus? Or can you expect coming to Jesus a life that's free of trouble? He says, come to me and have rest. So can you expect if you come to him a life that's free of restlessness and trouble of any kind, a life where everything goes smooth for you? Well, friends, we're looking at one of Jesus' most famous parables today, one of the stories he told, the parable of the sower, 
And what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's reframing our expectations of himself and his kingdom and what it looks like to come to him. Uh, it fits in this whole section we're looking at this term. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, we, we saw how the whole of Matthew's gospel is sort of structured around these five blocks of teaching. And there's action, followed by teaching, followed by action, followed by teaching. Um, and uh, we saw a few weeks ago that this whole section we're looking at this term, uh, is the, it goes into this idea that there's a kind of mystery about Jesus' kingdom. There's a kind of hiddenness about it. Um, and, and today and over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking at the, his third block of teaching. Can't quite see it down the bottom. It's a different colour, but there's a speech bubble uh, that represents the teaching. Chapter 13, this, this chapter is one of those big blocks of teaching uh, of, of Jesus. And we're going to dig into it over the next uh, few weeks. The whole chapter is actually a record, uh, or most of the chapter is a record of the parables Jesus taught. Um, so you know what a parable is? It's a way of taking something that's familiar to the people who are listening and sort of throwing it up against something that the teacher wants to teach them about, uh, something unfamiliar. So throw, taking something that's familiar, throwing it against something that's unfamiliar. Um, and, and this hiddenness, this mystery, this secret nature of this kingdom is a theme through all of these parables that Jesus tells. Um, uh, but the first one he tells is kind of it sets the tone, sets the scene for all the rest. It's really important. So what can you expect coming to Jesus? Well, just have in your minds what you think the crowds would have expected as we open up into this chapter. It, the chapter opens to this scene. It looks really positive. Looks really positive. Um, any kind of great leader would be over the moon, right, to have this kind of reception. Verse 1, Jesus heads out to the seaside, uh, to the edge of a huge lake called the, uh, the Lake of Galilee. Uh, and in verse 2, we read, huge crowds are gathering around him. And they're so huge, he gets into a boat. There's a visual representation of that up there. It probably created a natural kind of amphitheater. So Jesus was out in the boat, people were gathered around him in a kind of amphitheater, which meant that his voice could, tra you know, tr could travel over the water to everyone. And, and, but it's massive, there's big crowds, probably not captured in that picture. I think there's, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of people, and so this is looking good, right? This is looking good for Jesus and his kingdom. Any leader of a new movement would kill for this kind of popularity. Uh, it looks as if this kingdom is gathering speed, right? Here, so here's Jesus' big moments, his opportunity to lay out his vision and get people on side. So what does he do? Well, I think what he does is actually pretty surprising. And in verse 3 we read, he tells them many things in parables. He tells them stories, but they're kind of strange stories, uh, 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 odd stories in a lot of ways. Um, most of you will be very familiar with this story. It's not a com complex story, like it's not hard to follow. Uh, a farmer goes out, he uses this technique that's called broadcast sowing, where you take a bag of seeds and sort of scatter them across the ground. Some of it falls in the path, the birds come and enjoy a nice morning tea, gobble them up, fly away. Uh, some falls on the rocky soil, it springs up quickly, but it doesn't have roots, so the sun hits it and withers away. Uh, some seed falls among um, an area where there's thorns, and, and the seed grows up, uh, but it gets choked out by the thorns, and it, it doesn't grow as it should. And then some seed falls on the good soil, it takes root, 
and it grows in rows and rows and rows and rows. <laughs> it produces a crop. Uh, now, we know the meaning of this parable, don't we? Because we've read all the way through. And you've, you've, uh, you, uh, chances are many of us have read this numerous times or heard this numerous times. We know the meaning of this. But imagine that you didn't know what, what Jesus was going on about. Imagine you didn't kind of have that insight and you come as part of the crowd to hear this great leader speak, this great moment, <laughs> it kind of fills everyone in on his great mission. And he told you this strange tale about a farmer throwing some seed out and onto all these different kinds of soil. And then he just finishes in verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. I reckon if I was in the crowd, I'd be kind of thinking, and? <laughs> like, what's Jesus thinking? Uh, what is this nice seaside farm yarn? Um, this yarn about a farmer by the sea, all very good, but what's going on? Okay, uh, sometimes, you, uh, maybe you've heard this, sometimes you can hear uh, that uh, it taught that Jesus sort of spoke in parables because he was such a clear communicator. Maybe you've heard this. He told stories that stories. We love stories, don't we? They engage us. They draw us in. And Jesus was like this master communicator who used stories to make his point really clear. But do you see, as you keep reading this parable, that's not actually at all what's going on with Jesus's um, parables. That's not at all what you see here. You notice that in verse ten, the disciples come to Jesus after he's told this story. They come to him, and they, I, I, they can't get why, what's going on, why Jesus is telling these stories using these parables. Uh, is this a wasted opportunity <laughs> by telling these strange, obscure parables? I think they're left scratching their heads. So they come and they say to Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus gives them this really important answer. He shows them that part of the reason why he's using these parables is not actually to, so that he can be really clear. It's actually, in a way, to be less clear. To present the truth of his kingdom in a kind of veiled way, a hidden way. Uh, in verse 11, Jesus says, He speaks in parables because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to his disciples, those who have come to him and uh, Put on his yoke and are learning from him, but not to them, not to the crowds. So what's going on with these parables? The, the parables that Jesus tells here, they're kind of like a sieve, or a filter. Um, they, they sift out who is really part of Jesus' kingdom and who isn't. Uh, those to whom the Father has chosen to reveal his Son and those he has not. So you see here that there's different. There's actually different ways of coming to Jesus. Um, the parables reveal they, they kind of show up who has come to Jesus. Uh, on the one hand, for entertainment, maybe for some good vibes, for just having a sticky beak at this unusual guy. <laughs> but on the other hand, those who come to Jesus humbly taking his yoke upon them, coming to him as their Lord and their King, with whom alone they find rest. The parables show up where people are at with Jesus. They kind of reveal what's going on in their hearts. But not only that, 
What Jesus goes on to talk about is they don't just show it up, they actually amplify it. They, they kind of reinforce people's position. That's what's behind Jesus's you know, hard saying in verse 12. Where Jesus says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. So, they, they, you know, they can vis- visually see Jesus, but they don't see him. <laughs> So though hearing, they do not understand. They do not hear or, or understand. So you know, the words are going in, but they're, they're not understanding. They're not seeing the reality. But those who are Jesus' real disciples will see the truth and the beauty and the goodness of what he's talking about here. They'll receive it and they'll receive an abundance as they put it into practice. But those who are not, Jesus says, well... Unless God changes their heart and they come to him in repentance and faith, these parables will actually harden them, take them further and further away from the abundance Jesus offers until even what they have is taken from them. Uh, There's lots going on here, but in verse 14, Jesus goes to one of the Old Testament prophets, to Isaiah, to explain what he's talking about, to explain what's going on here. And it's important that we see this. He goes to this key chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Uh, we looked at it a couple of years ago. Maybe you can re- just about remember it. It's this key chapter in Isaiah where God, it describes how God called Isaiah to his ministry. Uh, Isaiah has this amazing vision of God or the sort of bottom of his robe and is blown away by the holiness of God and God you know, gives him his mission to proclaim his word to the people. And what's really interesting in Isaiah 6 is that God tells Isaiah right from the start that the people he's preaching to won't listen to him. Uh, In fact, the more he would preach to them, the harder and harder their hearts would get and the more they would add to their guilt before God. Uh, Jesus is drawing, he's not just drawing a parallel, he's saying that is actually fulfilled in what's happening with him as he tells these parables about the kingdom. There's this same sifting going on. And how you respond will either push you further away from him or will draw you in and you'll find more and more abundance and goodness. You'll know the truth of what he says in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because you see, they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, the prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Friends, Jesus isn't interested in a crowd of admirers. He wants disciples, not groupies. What's going on in his kingdom is the centre of all history. It's what the prophets longed for. So how you respond to this king and his word is the most important and decisive thing in your life. And that's what this first parable Jesus tells really is all about, responding to this word about Jesus, about who he is and what, he's, what he would do. And, uh, and so to those who did come to him as his disciples, not as the bigger crowd, but who later sort of came to him, to learn from him, he explains this parable. The seed is the word, the message about the kingdom. 
Uh, this message is being spread. There'll be many who hear it but don't understand it, uh, who see it but don't perceive it. Uh, and, and so what Jesus does, he, he, he goes through these four types of soil. Um, and it's really helpful for us just to slow down a little bit and just reflect on each one and see what's going on in each one. There are going to be those whose hearts are like the hard soil of the path. You know, a well-trodden path, you drop some seed on there, there's no way it's going to go in anywhere. Um, the word of Jesus and his kingdom just bounces off the surface. In fact, there's probably more going on in verse 19. It doesn't just bounce off. It's actually snatched away by the evil one. Um, this is the person who has... He kind of hears what the, the gospel is about Jesus, but it, there's no personal reality to it, no deeper response to this word. It's kind of just theoretical. It doesn't make any real impact in their life. I reckon we can probably all think of obvious examples of people who are like this, people who despise Jesus and his gospel outwardly and um, who maybe you say something to and it's just a brick wall straight away. But I reckon there are actually less obvious ways that people can be like this. You might be like this. Regularly having the seed of God's word scattered on your heart, but just not making any impact. Uh, not having any sense that you're a sinner before a holy God. Not having any sense of um, the amazing grace that he would pour out on you through the gospel. Uh, you've never really been cut to the heart by the sword of God's word. You're always kind of sitting in judgment over the word, not letting yourself be judged by the word. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you are like this. What hope is there for your hard heart? Well, there is much hope. There is endless hope if you will come to him humbly in repentance. Ask him to soften your hearts and help you to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Okay, so that's the path. Uh, in the next soil, something does happen, though. Did you notice that? Uh, it's rocky soil, but there's kind of enough. There's rocks all scattered through it. There's enough soil there that the, the seed does actually do something. It germinates, takes, takes root, starts to grow. Things look good, at least for a while. But you, read, you, you find out that this is kind of, it's shallow soil. It's a shallow heart. And you get the sense that it's kind of, it's sort of, the, it's describing someone whose relationship with Jesus is kind of founded on, just founded on their own shifting, unsteady experience and emotions. Um, there's nothing much deeper than that, than the kind of the feel, the, having the feelings. <laughs> and here's how Jesus describes it in verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the first type of soil, the, the path, there was, no, there was no personal reality to that. Seeds just taken away. Here there is a, a personal kind of reality, but it seems like there's a kind of maybe an over-reliance on emotion. I think there is a warning here about 
an overemphasizing our experience about a kind of emotionalism. You can get very excited about Jesus. You can have an awesome conversion story. You can have all the feels. But a year or two down the track, and trouble comes to you because of the word. You realize Jesus' teaching means you'd need to give up on pursuing that relationship with a non-Christian. You, real, or you realize the Christian life is a hard slog, and the more you go on, the more you have to repent of. And, and not just trouble, but persecution comes to you because of the word. You start to lose friends. Maybe you're left out at school or at work because you're a Christian. Maybe you get snide comments from friends or family because you're committed to Jesus and his people. And when that happens, when that heat comes on you from the sun, the midday sun, when that heat comes on you, the seedling of the gospel withers. And Jesus says these people with rocky, shallow hearts, they quickly fall away. Friends, praise God for those sweet moments of joy and lightness and emotion in the light of the gospel. May we have them deeply and often. But there are many tears as well. And perseverance is what's needed. I think it's helpful for churches to see this too. It's possible to try and kind of manufacture a response to Jesus through emotional manipulation <laughs> uh, or to have a, kind of, a focus on some kind of dramatic conversion experience without which you're not really a true Christian. Uh, Jesus shows us here that the important thing is not a dramatic one-off experience. That won't sustain you when the heat is on. What's important is long-term discipleship, growing deep roots in Jesus and his word in his community of his church over years and years. That's what, that's what he's looking to do in your heart and your life. Okay, that's the, um, the uh, rocky soil. And there's another type of person who, who responds positively to Jesus, but also ends up distant from him. It's this image of the thorns, the seed that grows up around the thorns. The word, it, it does take root, actually. It does grow. But this, it's like an image of the seed of the word, the plant of the word, um, being crowded out by everything around you. you know, this is the person who does want Jesus, but kind of wants to share the throne of their heart with other things, other lords alongside him. It's an image of a divided heart. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I reckon this is a really dangerous type of, well, it's a strong warning for us, isn't it? And I think, it's, I think this soil is a particular danger for Christians uh, and, and, and for us, for us, in our age when the worries of this life seem to be increasing, where it's so tempting to look for security in money 
or in good health or in any other, any number of other things that this world offers. It can be so easy to drift into a situation where the weeds take over and where the thorns choke out the word. Where you realise that when you are honest with yourself, you're consistently choosing work or school or sport or a relationship or just getting the next gadget. (laughs) You're consistently choosing that over the word of God. It can be so easy to drift into that situation. Well, friends, perhaps God is showing you that you need to do some weeding in the soil of your heart today. This thorny soil, it is a tragedy. It's a tragedy because it stops you from growing into the fullness of what you were made for. It stops you from growing into all that God has in store for you into what, will, what actually will give you that true deep rest that Jesus holds out, into the kind of gospel plant that God intends for you. It's interesting, isn't it? What is it that characterises the last soil, this last soil, this good soil? Let's, let's read from verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word And understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The good soil hears. Hears the word. Unlike Isaiah's, the people who are listening to Isaiah, they do understand. They do understand. But you notice, see what's going on here. Understanding is not just getting it intellectually. That's not understanding the word. It's not just kind of being able to tick off, yes, I, I know, Jesus lived, died and rose. Uh, he's coming back again. What's next? You know, <laughs> that's, that's not understanding this word. Notice how to properly understand the word Those who really understand it, what happens to them? They produce a crop. It bears fruit in their life. True gospel understanding isn't just knowing facts about Jesus. It's coming to Jesus. It's what we've seen over and over again in these chapters. It's coming to him with your burdens, with a soft heart, not a stony hard heart. With a soft heart, coming to him with your burdens, yoking yourself to him and receiving his gift of rest. It's letting the truth of the gospel, the wonderful truth of the gospel, that every sin is forgiven in Christ. Every sin. That in him you are God's beloved child, a member of his family. Letting that so deeply sink into you and transform you that you then go on to produce your own crop. You have your own store of gospel grain that you can, you can start sharing with others in this world that is in desperate need of this good news. So friends, we started this thinking about what, what can you expect from Jesus and his kingdom? Uh, 
I reckon in, in some ways Jesus is trying to, he's managing expectations. He's trying to reduce expectations. And some, or maybe better than that, he's, he's reframing expectations for his disciples. He's, he's helping them see what's really important in his kingdom. Not outward show, not force, but the gentle, humble inner transformation that takes place through the seed of the word. And I think this is just so helpful for us as we, um, as, as we think about our own expectations. I want to just uh, uh, mention two areas of our life together that I think this is really, um, really helpful, really um, necessary for us to th- reflect on. The first is in our mission together, our expectations for our mission together to this world, to our community. Um, it is tempting... I've certainly felt this, and I'm sure many of you have. It is tempting, so tempting, to become disheartened in your efforts to share Jesus. It's actually it's painful to see this parable play out. I mean, Jesus was spot on here. <laughs> like this is this is what happens, and it is painful to to see this play out. To have hard, instant rejection, or just kind of apathy to the word. Uh, perhaps to have spent many hours sharing the gospel with someone, even perhaps for them to have had a great initial kind of response, only for trouble or persecution to beat down on them and cause them to fall away, or for worldly desires and troubles to grow up and choke out the word. It is so helpful to have this from Jesus, to reframe our expectations of what's going on because it helps us to keep going keep going because god does have his people out there god has his elect out there those he has been preparing who will be good soil for his words and who will go on to bear wonderful gospel fruit in their lives It helps us to keep going, and it helps us to keep going on track. Not to get into that kind of frame of mind where we're thinking, oh, we'd better change the message because it's not working here. It's very tempting to do that. Or to think, well, no, let's let's just stop sharing the word. Let's do other things. Let's just focus on good deeds or other good things, but not the word because it's not working it's helpful to help us to keep going and, we've got to, and it's, it helps us keep going in the right direction, on the right track, not changing the message, um, having confidence that God will bear his fruits in the hearts of those he has been preparing. So it helps us, I think, really necessary for our expectations and mission. Uh, as we go into Easter and we're sharing the, this good news with our community, as we he- look ahead to maybe inviting, bringing p- friends along to our Hope Explored course next term, um, whatever it is, it's, it's so helpful to have this, to persevere and to stay on track. Second thing, though, I wanted to just mention is it's helpful for our mission together, but it's also helpful for ourselves, each of us, as we think about the, wh- what we expect from Jesus in our own lives. What we expect. If we're hearing and understanding the word in the way that's portrayed here in this parable, if we're really hearing and understanding it, what does Jesus say we can expect? 
you can expect in your life? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. A life of overflowing fruitfulness. Because the word is this word that has come to us and that we have the wonderful privilege of passing on. It is so good. It really is so good. It's this message of the kingdom is life and light and forgiveness and freedom. It's the, the word of hope that this world needs. It's the word of rest that we long for. It's the message of the king of kings who will bring about his justice on earth. And the king who made himself nothing, dying the death we deserve so that we can share in his life. To know that by God's grace, by his spirit's revealing work, to know that deeply, to understand that in the way Jesus is talking about here. By God's grace, by his Spirit's revealing work in your heart, to understand that will produce a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. So friends, let's just finish with Jesus' own words here. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's pray. Now God, please give us your grace. Please work your spirit in us to soften our hearts to your word. Lord, if we've been provoked in our conscience about the thorns growing up around the seed of your word, help us to repent of them. May we have this crop of good soil that's growing in good soil, free from those thorns. Keep us from the hard and stony ground that might show a bit of life but doesn't persevere. Give us deep roots together as your people in your word. And for any who have that, that, that um, just hard ground of the path for whom the word has not made any impact, Father, I pray that you, you might by your grace soften their hearts and may they come to Jesus. May all of us come to him, weary and heavy laden, taking his yoke upon us, learning from him, our Saviour and our Lord, and enjoying his true, deep, eternal rest. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.